The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. And we're brought to you by the American Institute of Sales, Marketing and Management. We're proud to welcome them on board as sponsors of the show. Now, if you're listening for the very first time, this is the radio program where we tell it exactly the way it is, doing everything we can to assist entrepreneurs by bringing the latest information every week on what is happening in business throughout the world. Now, the American Institute of Sales, Marketing, and Management is one of the leading accreditation institutes in the world. Do you have the letters A-I-S-M-M after your name? I do, and it's helped my career incredibly. Do you have the A-I-S-M-M accreditation certificate on the wall for your clients and your colleagues to envy? I do, and it certainly helps me to get business. So you should join the American Institute of Sales, Marketing, and Management now, go to AISMM.org. So let's look at some of the week's news. Payment technologies are emerging as one of the huge industries of the future, and emerging payment technologies will create new winners and losers in the giant credit card industry. It really is a massive industry. The credit and debit card ecosystem is much bigger than just MasterCard, American Express, and Visa that we usually think of. Scores of companies play different roles as intermediaries, most of them as merchant-facing vendors that provide you know, all the technology and the services and all the stuff that helps businesses accept credit cards. Well, Silicon Valley wants a chunk of this business, and they've introduced online, they've introduced mobile, and they've introduced cloud-based services that compete with those that are provided by the legacy players. Well, while the credit card companies aren't going anywhere for now, they'll, they'll remain an indispensable part of the chain because they don't actually process payments. All they do is provide um, the rails that the credit card industry runs on. Credit card processors that actually do the work of processing merchants' credit cards on the back end well, they're still in a pretty strong position because they're doing the work. But it's the makers of the hardware that's used to physically accept credit card payments at stores. And the hundreds of merchant services that set up business to accept credit cards, they're the ones that are in real trouble. The new payment companies such as you know, um, PayPal, Leaf, uh, Revel Systems, Square, and a bunch of others 
they can easily bridge the offline online worlds that no problem for them they pay their that they connect their mobile registers and smartphone apps and they provide additional merchant services like software for loyalty programs they analyze the data so they've got a hell of a lot to offer the industry it's not all doom and gloom yet for the legacy companies because they've got you know, long established um, relationships with banks and with all the companies that accept credit cards they've got a huge sales force but it's going to happen sooner or later the dinosaurs will become extinct and you probably saw on all the news that Apple's big um, development conference kicked off yesterday and uh, Apple really need to pull a rabbit out of the hat in the smartphone space they're getting slaughtered and even devotees are flocking to Samsung moving something like 65% of all the phones on the planet and uh, but it's interesting that Apple execs are suddenly talking about they've always been tight-lipped it's always been a big surprise what they're going to do next but they've been pretty tight-lipped usually this time mouths are flapping um Apple Senior Vice President uh, Eddie Q said last week that we got the best product pipeline that I've seen in my 25 years of Apple. And uh, CEO Tim Cook said, we're not willing to talk about it, but we're working on some great stuff. Well, they need to. You know, 25 years since um, the iPhone and the iPad, they really need to pull a rabbit out of the hat. But nobody's expecting very much from it. Um, there'll be a redesign of Mac software. They changed the look of the iPhone last year. Well, made it flatter and colourful. Um, probably do the same with Mac software this year. There'll be some tweets and bug fixes and a few more things to the iOS 8 operating system, but nothing exciting. They've got a new fitness and health application called Healthbook that everybody's expecting. Um, which collects um, fitness and health information from your apps. And we might get uh, public trans transit directions in the Apple map, map, the maps, start again, maps. Um, so none of that's really exciting. I, I guess the big futures in the home automation space, as we've been talking about for the last few weeks with smart homes, um, this is where everything in your home is run from your from your phone um, or a central point. Now, people really geeked up for this one, but and everybody suspects that Apple's got something really special up its sleeve, but I don't know. i got a feeling that it's just going to be... Um, they're going to announce that they're basically certifying a bunch of connected devices um, under the made-for-iPhone label. I don't think there's anything exciting. There'll be no big announcements about iWatch or Apple TV, as far as we know. But I wouldn't count on it. We've heard rumours. But um, I think the only thing you can be absolutely sure of is that um, there'll be a major performance by Jimmy and Dr. Dre to finish off the conference following the, their acquisition a week or so ago of Beats. So I think... Um, at the end of these few days, we'll all be disappointed yet again. But uh, hopefully in the coming months, they're going to launch a big screen iPhone, new iPads, and possibly the iWatch. 
They really need to come up with something stunning and they need to do it bloody quickly. Although if you've got $150 billion in the bank, I guess the pressure's not quite on, is it? Australia's Attorney General, and I'm, as you know, I'm originally Australian. I've been living in California for 27 years, but originally Australian. And Australia's Attorney General appeared before a Senate Estimates Committee last week and slammed Australia as the worst nation for piracy on the planet. Now, that might come as a big surprise for many of you who think China, India and places like that. But um, Australia's Attorney General said that unlike the United Kingdom, New Zealand, Canada, the United States, France and other comparable countries, Australia lacks any effective protection against online privacy and is the worst offender of any country in the world when it comes to piracy. Wow. So um, they're apparently about to uh, announce a host of anti-piracy um, projects. So Pirate Bay and those sort of companies will most probably be banned, one would suspect. So all I can say about that is it is about bloody time. Now, if you're a sports fan, you may be in two minds this week. Former Microsoft CEO Steve Ballmer, who managed to halve the value of Microsoft, just bought the Los Angeles Clippers for $2 billion. So Donald Sterling reached agreement with his supposedly estranged wife, Shelley, to sell the team. However, the deal needs Sterling's approval to move forward and the other 29 NBA owners have to also approve the deal, but they're likely to do that if Barmer agrees to keep the team in Los Angeles. My bet is that the sale's going to proceed. Sterling only paid $500 million for the team, so you come out and you be a racist and an absolute asshole, and uh, you make 400% on your money. That's not a bad deal. Um something morally wrong about that, but nevertheless, with everybody against him, he's rapidly running out of time, so I think that deal will be done very quickly. Now, as long-time listeners to this program are probably aware, I've not been a supporter of Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg until a couple of years ago when he discovered his humanitarian side, and now, I've got to admit, I'm a raving fan He's given away billions of dollars to great causes and he's um, committed to um, giving the world uh, access to computers, doesn't matter where you are on the planet. And uh, so I'm a fan. I, I'm a great believer that successful entrepreneurs who make extraordinary wealth quickly should do as much as possible to help the less fortunate. So this week, Zuckerberg and his wife, Dr. Priscilla Chan. She's a paediatric resident at the University of California in San Francisco. Now, you'd think that if you had $25 billion that you wouldn't have to send your wife out to work, would you? But um, they announced this week a $120 million commitment to support efforts to improve education for underserved communities in the Bay Area. Yet, as we know, Zuckerberg's been partnering with Education Superhighway to provide internet access to every K-12 public school, investing in getting computers and other technologies into classrooms. He's also been making um, a lot of investments in education tech startups. Last year in the Raven, Ravenswood 
school district, less than 40% of students were proficient in English language arts and less than 50% in math. Now, that's bloody pathetic. So, um, <coughs> excuse me, their $120 million commitment, that's their effort to change this. Mark Zuckerberg and Priscilla, we salute you as our entrepreneurs of the week and I take back some of the terrible things I've said about you over the years on this program. If you've been listening to this program over the last few months, it's going to come as no surprise to you that online video advertising is growing many times faster than TV, search, most other digital ad markets. It's just booming. In fact, online video which is the most effective way to communicate either whether you've got a website or whether it's um, no matter what you're doing online, um, video is the go. Online video is anticipated to increase at a three-year compound annual growth rate of 20% over the next three years. That's faster than any other medium other than mobile and much faster than traditional display advertising, which is growing at 3 so it's growing seven times faster than display advertising online. I'm also a very big Uber fan. Uber's very cool. And uh, last week, I was in a city that completed a multi-billion dollar light rail service, completed it six months ago, and but it was built by the government, you see. So they're running a six-month trial. And during the six-month trial, they are running a full service. So it starts at 5 o'clock in the morning. They've got all these light rails running up and down every three minutes or four minutes until nearly midnight at night. So they're making hundreds of trips a day on a trial. I mean, what the hell can go wrong? Anyway... As I said, only the government is running up and down through the city with uh, empty carriages. How dumb is that? Now, we wanted to get a cab. We're at a blues festival and we wanted to get a cab and the lines were 100 yards long. So we were really crying out for Uber. Where are they when you need them? Although, unfortunately, they're not... They're not in that city yet, so we couldn't get one. We had to wait for a cab. So what caught my eye during the week was that Uber CEO Travis Kalanick said that he absolutely loves the idea of self-driving cars. He said Uber could be expensive because you're paying for the other dude in the car. When there's no other dude in the car, the cost of taking on Uber is much, much cheaper even on a road trip. There you go. And with Google moving very quickly on self-driving cars, note the latest, no steering wheel. Something about sitting in a car with no steering wheel on the freeway doing um, 90 miles an hour, eh, that could be a little bit um, terrifying, I reckon. Being in LA, we zip along those freeways. So not having somebody in the front and not even having a steering wheel makes you feel pretty powerless, I guess. 
So with, with self-driving cars, a service like Uber will bring down the cost of ridership so much that nobody's going to need to own a car. So for somewhere like Los Angeles, it would be fantastic. And just think of the reduction in pollution because all these Google cars, of course, are not running on um, gas. And Kalanick denies that he's in talks with Google, but let's wait and see. On the surface, it seems like an absolutely perfect marriage. Now, Instagram's been the big winner over the last few years, especially since Facebook bought them in 2012. Um, But Instagram isn't just succeeding at a time by getting more people to join up. Users are more engaged with Instagram than any other app. So Instagram um, is growing like crazy. Now, Instagram's lead for time spent is even wider than it was before with Twitter, despite the fact that Twitter was just so much larger. You know, Instagram beat Twitter back in 2013, but um, even with the the huge difference in, um, in user base, so Instagram's lead for time spent is wider than any other major internet activity, including email, with 60% of social media time spent on smartphones and tablets. So 60% of social media time spent is spent on Instagram. Wow. Now, Facebook, of course, has a monster lead in engagement, and it's exponential compared with the other social networks. But you think of Facebook with 1.2 billion users, Instagram comes in second and Twitter third on desktop and smartphone combined. Now, that was a big surprise to me because I uh, I must admit I was under the impression that Twitter was gaining rapidly on Facebook, but not so. And Instagram has um, run away second place and outdoing everyone else in growth. Now, you're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. And it's brought to you by the American Institute of Sales, Marketing and Management. They're our new sponsor, as from today. So um, we welcome them on board. Great organization. And uh, if you're in the sales marketing or in a management role, then you really should join, get the credentials. You know, there's several levels, so you you can't just um, rock up and become a superstar overnight. There's several several levels and uh, it's access to material. There's a whole bunch of things they do. So um, you should get on board. You just go to um, AISMM.org. We're here to assist entrepreneurs to become successful. So if you've got a question about any aspect of business whatsoever, please don't hesitate to drop me an email. You can reach me at bob at bobpritchard.com. That's Pritchard with a T, P-R-I-T-C-H-A-R-D. And we'll answer your email on air if we believe that it um, pertains to a whole range of people or if it's a specific question, I'll email you directly and answer it. After the break, I'm going to be speaking with John Scholl, 
who's known as the guru of customer service. He's a really good guy. He's written six best-selling books. They've been published in 11 languages, and he's the president of the Service Quality Institute. Don't forget to uh, reach out to us on Twitter or Facebook or Google Plus and become my contact on LinkedIn. LinkedIn's a fantastic service. I use it all the time. So um, we may be able to do some things for each other. I might be able to help you and you might be able to help me, but um, get together with me on LinkedIn. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business, brought to you by the American Institute of Sales, Marketing and Management, and I'll be back with you in just a moment. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, this is the segment of the show where we, we talk to the most successful and most insightful people in their field across the world. My guest today is John Scholl. Now, he's called the Guru of Customer Service by USA Today, written up in Time and Entrepreneur Magazines. He's the author of six best-selling books, an internationally recognized service strategist, and he's president of the Service Quality Institute, which is the global leader in customer service. For the last 31 years, John's solely focused on helping organizations drive a service culture and create a customer experience through his technology, which is built on practicality, simplicity, and plain common sense. With his credibility and focus on empowerment and the power of the social media, he has the ability to emotionally communicate the power of the service strategy from top executives to the total workforce. John's message is based on common sense, as I said, built around his 41 years in designing training programs and developing a high-performance workplace. 
John's technology and books are in 11 languages, represented in over 45 countries, and 90% of the Service Quality Institute's business is international. That's a fair sort of a record. John, a pleasure to have you aboard. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Bob, great to be on your show. Now, travelling the world, as both you and I do, you know, I, I always, always think of American customer service as a long way ahead of any other country on the planet. Um, but I understand there's uh, still some chinks in the armour. Why do you think that customer service is weak in the U.S.? I think that most CEOs, most top executives, believe that they already provide incredible, awesome customer service. Here's the interesting thing. If we asked your listeners to just identify five companies they work with that provide incredible, unbelievable customer service, every time they interface with them. I suspect many of the listeners would have trouble identifying five. However, 98% of all companies in this country believe they do provide that level of service. I I give a lot of speeches, as do you, and uh, one of the questions I ask an audience, and it's it's really interesting because it backs up what you've said, I'll get a 1,000 people in the room and I'll say... Hands up everyone who has been and done business with somebody in the last week where they have had awesome customer service, where they walk out saying, wow, that was fantastic. And, you know, in a room of a 1,000 people, you get about two hands. <laughs> so so it's frustrating for me. Uh, I wrote a book called The Customer's Boss. This is a number of years ago, and the objective was to get the consumer the, the customer to complain, to let people know when they have bad service. Yeah. I think that one of the reasons companies provide crummy service is that nobody ever lets them know. They just gave up on it. Yeah. Now, the problem with social media for companies is today a guy can go onto Facebook and say, man, I was at XYZ, the service sucks, da-da-da-da, and now 2,000, 4,000 people hear about it within 24 hours. So companies no longer today can get away with it, but... Uh, we live in an environment where they don't understand that their customer service is pretty weak. I think there's a lot of arrogance in the United States. Well, you don't find... We haven't found a huge uptick in the number of companies that are hiring speakers that talk about customer service. Do you? you, you know, I think it's a low priority for most companies. Customer yeah, service is something they did 10 years ago. So, um, everybody talks... You know, for as long as I can remember... Um, everybody talks about the importance of customer service, um, and yet nobody seems to do much about it, and you believe that's because most companies believe that they really do give great customer service already. That's one reason. And the second reason is that top management does not understand the power of the service strategy. They don't realize how money can fall from the sky yeah. if they can build a business around a customer experience. So if you look at Amazon... $41 billion in revenue, 41% increase in sales last year, a 40% increase in revenue the year before. Uh, everything at Amazon is built around the customer experience. Look at Apple, the most valuable Absolutely. company in the world. Sales per square foot of $7,000, the highest sales per square foot of any retailer in the world, $35,000 at their Fifth Avenue store. Nobody wants to copy Amazon or Apple. They make too much money. I think the interesting... 
the interesting thing is to walk into an Apple store is really a pleasure, isn't it? I mean, you walk into an Apple store and, and there's people that can help you. They're intelligent. They know what the hell they're talking about. Everything's built around the customer experience. When you Fantastic. walk in, they ask your name. They put it on an iPad. What you don't know, Bob, is that they describe what you're wearing. So let's say you're gonna, you have a meeting at the Genius Bar, and they say, uh, Mr. Show, we can get you in at 2.12. Okay? And yep. you might be in there for about five three, four minutes, and somebody's going to walk up to you and say, John, uh, it'll be just a few more minutes before we get you in. And you're looking around saying, how in the heck did they know that was me? But they used a simple thing called technology, called an iPad, yeah. and they described what you were wearing, I but they had the understanding, they had the understanding they're in the customer experience business. Okay. Everything is built around the customer experience. So what I show companies is that if you really focus on this service strategy, if you create this incredible customer experience, revenue falls into your hands faster than you've ever seen it before. And that's where CEOs do not understand. They, they spend a fortune on advertising. Uh, they spend a lot of money on store renovations, but they don't understand what the magic is of when the customer walks in on the phone, in person, and they experience heaven. Yeah, and there's a lot more to customer service. I think a lot of companies think their customer service is great because, you know, somebody walks into the store and they don't have to wait more than five minutes before they're approached or, you know, they deliver within five days or whatever, which they believe that is great service. But today, you know, one of the things that really annoys me is when you talk to somebody and they say, we'll be out next Thursday. Well, what time are you coming? Well, sometime between 7 a.m. and 2 p.m. Jesus, that really bugs me. So there's a lot more to customer service than just being quick and efficient, getting the person in and out of your store or in and out of whatever. You know, it's the ease. It's really part of it is the ease of doing business. Do you have hours that are convenient to the customer? Do you have a live call center where you call and somebody's going to answer the phone in one or two rings, and they're highly intelligent? They know what they're doing and they can carry it through. you know, there are so many firms that don't want to compete with an Amazon because they have technology designed so that there's no way to ever talk to somebody. And yeah. sometimes there's an order wrong. Sometimes things just didn't go right. But many of these firms don't want to talk to a customer. Many banks have uh, IVR. They don't want to talk to humans. They're open at banker hours. So it, it's convenience. It's speed. It's the customer care. uh too many organizations, Bob, have dumb rules, dumb policies, dumb procedures that irritate customers. They increase the cost of operation. They have no value, and they alienate the customer. So it really starts with, is your business to be an airline, or are you in the customer experience business? Yeah. Southwest Airlines understands they're in the customer service business. They just happen to be an airline. Yeah, that's right. Delta Airlines, Continental, U.S. Air, they are in the transportation business. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the strategy that a firm has to use to develop a great uh, customer service culture? There's about seven, eight things. Number one is you've got to understand it's a strategy. You know, as soon yeah. as you forget fo- to focus on the strategy, you're, you're screwed. Number two, you've got to look at all the policies and procedures and systems that just have no value, that cost you money, that alienate the customer and eliminate them. Number three, you got to be far more careful about who you hire. Yes. Uh, the service leaders hire one out of 50, maybe one out of 100, but they don't hire one out of two or one out of three. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, for example, it's harder to get a job at Apple's Fifth Avenue store than it is to get into Harvard. 
Wow. And so the selection is very important. Number four, you've got to have empowerment. Empowerment means that every single employee has to be able to make a fast decision on the spot to take care of a customer to the customer's satisfaction. They've got to be able to bend the rules and not bump it up, but to be able to instantly take care of the customer. And then next is you've got to educate and train the entire workforce on the art of customer service with something fresh and new every four months. We've got to get away from the school that I took a course on customer service 15 years ago, and I know that George remembers what he went through. Yeah. And most organizations have a 20 25% employee turnover rate, so if they gave the training 15 years ago, uh, there's little chance anybody really has been trained. And the other reason, by the way, we don't want to train the total workforce is we know by the time I train George, he's going to leave, so I'm better off having just dumb people working for me. <laughs> but you have, you have to... You have to have short interventions, constantly keep it in front of the guy so that when somebody walks through the door, he's got, I'm in the customer service business, and he's been trained on the art. Athletes, right now, if you look at football, they don't, between the games, they don't sit on on their hind ends. They're into basic training, and they don't do a special play. They're into fundamentals and fundamentals. And what we need to do is teach people the fundamentals of customer service on speed, on service recovery, on remembering and using the customer's names. And then the next thing is you need to to measure and track the impact of this stuff because uh, the service leaders know financially where the numbers are falling, and they track it constantly. Uh, So most organizations, they just say what was fun, but they don't realize the impact. And I'm not interested in whether Sally liked the material. I'm not interested in a customer satisfaction score. What I'm interested in is tell me where the numbers are. What's happening to revenue, to profit, to sales? Uh, what's happening to my market share? So at Amazon, they measure and they track everything. Uh, and they, but, but Jeff Bezos, you know, when he has a meeting, they have a one share left open, which is the voice of the customer. Yeah. Uh, and when Jeff Bezos started in 1995, they had $511,000 in sales their first first year. Yeah. Uh, he asked himself, what's the most important thing, the, the, the desk for me or the price of a book? He says, it's the price of the book. So everybody at Amazon has a de- uh, desk, which is a door with two-by-fours and brackets that hold it up. Uh, the, the frugality at Amazon, their, their goal is to pass it on and to build the business. Mm. And, and, and another thing about Amazon, one of the other things that I teach in terms of the service strategy is you've got to be, uh, you got to eliminate waste and pass the savings on to the customer. There's too much waste in organizations. So at Amazon, Jeff Bezos said there's two kinds of companies. One that's always trying to figure out how to charge more. That would be a Delta Airlines, American Airlines type of thing. Okay? Mm-hmm. Your, your, your telephone carriers. And then there's a second one that's always trying to figure out how to reduce costs and charge less. That's what we want to be. And that's where Southwest Airlines is. That's where an Amazon is. Is there a certain type of person that you need to hire. I mean, some people um, think that um, giving great service and being beholden to the customer is beneath them. So is there a certain type of person you need to hire if you want to really deliver um, great service? You you need to look for attitude, somebody that smiles, somebody yep. that really likes to be around customers, that loves customer service. And you got to ask, you want to watch the body language. You don't, you don't interview somebody and say, Sally, I'm looking for somebody that loves customers. Sally's going to say, well, that's me. Sally, I'm looking for somebody that really believes in customer service. Sally's going to say, that's me. Yeah. Okay? So you, you've got to be able to ask questions and probe and have a variety of different people uh, interview people uh, so that you're hiring maybe one out of 50 or one out of 100. I, I just, once you hire somebody, it's very difficult to get rid of them. Yeah, true. 
I mean, you got to be very creative to get fired in most organizations in the world. What, what's the financial payoff? If, you, if you've got a company that's got great customer service culture um, and provides a fantastic experience, what's the financial payoff? Uh, number one, the value of the company will have a 25% premium and a conservative number. Really? That's, that's uh, a uh, huge... Number two, Yep. Number two, you're going to have a far uh, more rapid growth in terms of sales and profits than any of your competitors. The, the money actually falls from the sky. Right. I mean, I got all the research on what happens when you focus on the customer experience. Now, here's an interesting thing. Dell built its company around the customer experience, right. in addition to having great computers and a good price. Yep. And when Michael Dell originally left the company about what was it, eight years ago or something like that, mm -hmm. the value of the company dropped over in half. They've never recovered the value, wow. even after he came back. So you're talking billions and billions of dollars. Uh, look at Netflix. Uh, you know, yeah. a year ago, their stock was uh, $380 or $360 a share. And today... You know, it's probably at about $70 a share. They lost something like $15 billion in market value. You had arrogance at the top. You had a, a CEO that didn't understand the customer experience. He was talking to God every day, and he thought he was better than everything. Yeah. Uh, so w once you forget about the customer experience, it can be very, very, very fatal. So you believe, of course, like all of us do, the frontline employee is so important today that they need to be trained in customer service, but doesn't that also apply to everybody in the company because you've got both internal and external customers that you need to, you know, please and, and give equally good customer service, don't you? Every single employee must be trained on the art of customer service with something fresh and new, in my opinion, virtually every four months. Right. We've got to get away from the, the concept that there's this magic commercial that Coca-Cola is going to run, and it's going to be so powerful, you'll never need to run a commercial for Coca-Cola again for the rest of your life. Yeah. There is no magic training program that you can dip Charlie in, and he's going to change his entire life. You take this 25-year-old kid, he's probably never experienced great service in his life, and you put him through some kind of a course, let's say it's four hours or eight hours long, and most companies believe that Charlie will have changed his whole life. He, all these habits that were bad will be gone, and he was now going to be a perfect guy. Yeah. And, and, uh, and meanwhile, he's encountering all these incidents with customers every day, and he gets worn out, he gets beat up, and, and, and he forgets about that stuff. But if we're paying a football player a million dollars a year, we don't mind putting him into training camp every day for six hours a day. Yeah, true. But we won't do that with an employee that we're paying 10 or $15 an hour to, which is stupid. Now, you, you refer to service recovery. What is that, and why is it so important to keeping customers? All of us, Bob, make a mistake. During the day, all of us are going to somehow screw up. Something's going to go wrong in every organization. Yep. Uh, when you just say, I'm sorry, that's nice, but it's not service recovery. Service recovery is how do you take a guy when you've screwed up and he's swearing at you, he's ready to never do business with you again and flip the situation. So he says, this is the greatest company in the world, all within 60 seconds. So I teach four principles. Act quickly, take responsibility, be empowered, and compensate. Yeah. I'll give you an example. Let's say that you had a problem with your computer. Uh, you bought a brand new computer. You've you've had all sorts of issues with this thing, and you call up the company you bought it from, 
And they say, look, I apologize. Obviously, we've fallen down. We promised to have somebody uh, there at 2 o'clock today. They weren't there. Uh, we're going to get it solved by tomorrow. But in addition to that, I'm going to extend your warranty by an extra year for the inconvenience we've cost you. Right. Okay. Now you're going to say, well, okay, that's not too bad, an extra one-year warranty on my computer. What's the real cost? Not much. Yeah. Okay. So uh, maybe 2% at most of companies in the United States understand how to spell the two-word service recovery. <laughs> yeah, I believe that. By the way, Dell does not, uh, or Federal Express, use service recovery. You'll never see either of them use service recovery, which is somewhat shocking. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. John, it's been great speaking with you. I really, really appreciate your time. Um, now, if you're listening out there and you'd like to know more about how to provide sensational customer service and how to devise the strategies to do so and want to know more about John, go to John Scholl. That is, let me spell that for you. And I know being Australian accent, that <laughs> sometimes it's hard to work out my spelling, but it's T S C H O. H L. Let me do that again for you. It's John Scholl. It's T S C H O H L. So you can go to johnscholl.com and find out a whole truckload of information. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show after this short message. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit radio show. This is where we tell business exactly the way it is. And we're brought to you by the American Institute for Sales, Marketing and Management on the Voice America Business Network. Now, the reason this email segment so popular is that irrespective of where you are in the world, whether you've got a big business or a small business, and no matter what you do, 
we all have the same issues, the same challenges. It doesn't matter whether you're in retail, whether you're a plumber or a landscape gardener or running a dry cleaner or in tech. We all have the same issues. Running a business is tough. So we're here to help you. The first email this week comes from Ellison Darnell from Las Vegas, Nevada, one of my favorite spots on the planet, who writes, Dear Bob, people tell me that I'm a pretty good speaker, so I'm thinking about making a career out of professional speaking. I know that you're a successful speaker, so I thought you may be able to give me some tips. Hmm. Alison, thanks for your email. Actually, I've given about 1,600 presentations, I think, in about 53 countries, um, and I make quite a lot of money out of it, but I'm not suggesting that I'm uh, an expert by any means. But uh, you do get the hang of it after a while. It's a tough gig. Now, we all use words every day to close deals. Uh, We use them to gain funding, to earn trust, win approval, further our cause, um, get into somebody's knickers. You know, we use words all the time. And uh, effective communicators use language that, that captivates people, that motivates people, that persuades people. And your choice of words is one of the crucial ways that you can inspire an audience to believe in you or believe in the product, to buy in and to um, take action. Words are unbelievably powerful. And there are certain words and phrases you can always count on to help you connect well with your audience. You know, it, being a good presenter on stage being fluid and entertaining and moving around and eye contact with the audience and all of that sort of stuff is important. But it's actually what you say that's far more important. Um, If you say thank you, for example, to an audience, it shows appreciation for your audience's time and attention. And they appreciate that. I know it's a little thing, um, but they appreciate that. And a presentation always has a start, a middle and an end. And in the start, You tell them what you're going to tell them. What's the goal of this talk? And in the middle, you tell them what you're going to tell them. And at the end, you sum it all up and wrap it up in pretty little bow and and deliver it to them. So um, you can start just by saying, the goal of this presentation is to... Um, explain to you why da-da-da-da-da. So it makes it clear to the audience exactly what you're trying trying to achieve and getting them involved mentally like just imagine if da-da-da-da-da. So they start to think and they get um, involved in the the process. They visualise your message and... uh, they can capture an audience's attention and they can hold it. Now, conversely, there are some words that you should never say. And the first one of these is, I'm sorry. Now, I've heard a lot of speakers say, I'm sorry, but, well, it just discredits you. I mean, it's a simple thing, but it discredits you. Um, Somebody might ask you to go back to the previous slide. You know, the slide wasn't on long enough. Could you go back to the slide? 
or they could say, we can't hear you at the back. Um, could you speak a little bit louder? The worst thing you could do is to say, oh, I'm sorry. You know, it just diminishes you. So instead of apologizing, give a positive, proactive reply such as, of course, no problem. I'd be happy to. So you're positive, you're up, instead of, oh, I'm sorry, with your tail between your legs. <clears throat> a lot of presenters, and a lot of presenters um, apologize when they think they've made a mistake. You know, when you're up there talking for an hour and a half, it is very easy <clears throat> to make a mistake. But, you know, 99.9% of the time, the audience just doesn't notice. They don't have a clue. You know, I've heard, um, I've heard speakers say, I'm sorry, um, earlier I forgot to say da-da-da-da-da. But you're calling attention to a mistake. It... Um, it undermines your authority and your expertise. It's not a good look. The second absolute no-no for a speaker is to say, look, I'm really not as prepared as I should be or like to be. Wow. I mean, all of a sudden you're saying to the audience, you're not very important to me. You're not a priority, so I couldn't be bothered doing all the research I needed to do. I mean, that's really crappy. So don't say it. Never say you're not prepared. You know, as speakers, our primary responsibility is to prepare and rehearse enough to deliver a presentation that delivers value for the audience, that makes sense to them, that gets them to think, and it reflects positively on you. Now, I usually spend a couple of days researching the issues, future challenges, changing communi community attitudes, everything around about the subject that I'm going to talk to them about. So I spend a couple of days pulling information either from the company or from the web before I even think about writing the presentation. The third thing you should never do is say, I'm tired. I'm sorry, I'm tired. Oh, God, I'm weary. You know, I once flew, um, I was filling in for Tom Peters, who um, was ill, and uh, I flew from Los Angeles to Berlin in Germany. That's a fair old flight. I arrived in the morning after being um, on a plane for about 11 or 12 hours and layovers, etc. Uh, so I arrived in the morning. Went to the hotel, gave the presentation, and flew back to LA a couple of hours later. Now, I was absolutely screwed. But don't disappoint the audience by telling them that they're not getting your best. You know, whether you're tired because of jet lag, a bad cold, you haven't had any sleep, or you've got a hangover, you have to give it your all. Really push the envelope. But for Christ's sake, don't tell them you're tired. Believe it or not, I've actually heard a speaker also say, um, I already covered that. Weren't you listening when um, an audience member asked a question? You know, when you insult one audience member, you're insulting everybody. So that's not a good look either. So when, so when an audience member asks you a question about a point that you've previously covered, Answer politely, avoid becoming critical or defensive, but never, ever embarrass an audience member. 
And finally, and I must admit I have been guilty of this, never confess to being nervous. Almost everyone gets nervous when they um, get up in front of a crowd. But it's you've got to trans. That's adrenaline racing, and adrenaline makes you a great speaker. So the goal is, you know, you've got to manage that nervousness. Don't eliminate it. Enthusiastically deliver a message that benefits your audience, and when you do, the nervousness you feel on the inside it just isn't visible on the outside. And as a result, the audience perceives you as a confident, incredible speaker. Leaders in every community and right across the world are looking for skilled communicators. There's very few of them around. So every time you address an audience of any size whatsoever, it's an opportunity for you to influence your career. So choose your words wisely and use them in a way that inspires hope and motivates action. If you do this, Alison, you will become a great speaker. A copy of Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, How to Blitz Your Competition, which is my last book, is on its way to you. In fact, I love Vegas so much I might bring it to you in person. I absolutely love the place. Um, We're brought to you by the American Institute of Sales, Marketing and Management. So if you want to tell the world that you're a force to be reckoned with, join now. I've been a member since 2002. You'll be amazed at how it can open doors that you can't. So put AISMM after your name. It's made a big difference to my career, and it can make a difference to your career as well. Apply now. Go to AISMM.com. Remember, the Bob Pritchard Radio Show is here to help small businesses succeed. Don't forget, I want to hear from you. So visit my website at BobPritchard.com. Sign up for my newsletter. Email me. Tweet me and tell me what it is that you want to talk about. Thanks for listening to the Bob Pritchard No Bullshit Business Show for entrepreneurs. And remember, if you're serious about being successful, this is the place to come at the same time every week. This is Bob Pritchard on the Voice America Business Network, and I hope you have a fantastic week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.